Kia ora guys, welcome to season two of Pretty Depressed with me, Kim Crossman. We get deeper, darker and dirtier this season. (laughs) These chats are unfiltered and they're not for sensitive ears. We do talk about drugs, sex, alcohol, death, grief, alternative therapy, labels and suicide. And a bit of a disclaimer, none of my guests nor myself are in any way mental health professionals. So if you're not in a good place, then I do strongly advise that you seek out professional help. A huge thank you to all of my guests for being so vulnerable and for sharing so much. I gained so many lessons and tokens from these chats that I can apply to my own life, and I hope that you do too. If you want to join the community and the conversation, you can find us at Pretty Depressed on Instagram or on Facebook at Facebook forward slash Pretty Depressed Community. In this episode, I talk to Jim Jeffries. Now, you'll know Jim from his amazing piece on gun control and numerous comedy specials. I love this episode because we talk about creating small goals, drugs, outward-facing personalities, and we have some great laughs. This is Pretty Depressed with Jim. Hi, Jim Jeffries. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm assuming you probably don't know where we met. Oh, we've met before. Yeah. Oh, so God. I, I know. Well, you're not about to meet too, me, are you? What's, what's no, happening? No. <laughs> Cameras are rolling. Good, great. No, no. I, uh, well, I obviously am a big uh, fan of your comedy and stuff, but I actually really wanted to do a late night show. So I came and shadowed your director for a little bit. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, I do remember that. Yes, yeah, yes, we yes, had yes, a very yes, yes, brief yes. encounter. But um, I left and bawled my eyes out because I. That was has always been kind of like the North Star for me to have a show. Right. And in seeing how it all went together and things like that, I just realised that I'm not there yet. Well, I'm, I'm not there anymore. Okay. So, <laughs> what are you talking about? No, but I guess, like, I don't know, have you ever had that moment in life where, like, you think that you're ready for something and then, Well, you can say, you can say, I didn't think I was ready for it. I'm I'm pretty dyslexic and so I was just so scared of the, the auto cue, the teleprompt, that I um, used to try to memorise the whole script before I came in. And then as I did it a bit more, I got better at it and stuff. But I, I, I did have definitely imposter syndrome where I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this job. They, you know, there's actual people who host. There's real Jims out there, Jimmy Fallon's and Jimmy Kimmel's and Jimmy, <laughs> Jim, what's his name, the little one from Britain, you know. Uh, yes, yeah. And they, so there's people who know what they're doing, but like, like it's like it's, you're not ready for it. It's, it. it's like everyone who gets pregnant is not ready for it. How many how many people have you heard like, yeah, we're not ready to have a baby? No one has ever laid in bed and gone, we're ready to have I a think baby. We've, we've got all the ducks in a row. We're I ready. think I think people who already have a couple of babies have, have popped out a few. They're ready for another one. They yeah. know what they. But no one's ever ready for their first one. And so I feel like. A, Exactly that. I'm, I'd be ready to host another show. I could do it now, but when I did it, I didn't feel ready at all. Interesting. But you've you've been I, an entertainment TV person and all that. Yes, that's what I say I am. I'm an entertainment. T- well, no, I think it was just like leaving your show, realizing having this like stark realization that I had built my kind of, I guess, my ego up to a point that if I was given the opportunity, I'd be ready to do it. And I'm sure you if would be. you were, You'd but just it prep. just You'd didn't. Just prep. Yeah, it just didn't. I left so sad, so happy, but so sad, being like, "Oh, I'm not ready yet." Damn. <laughs> oh, I, many people leave my performances thinking. <laughs> Balling. I, I, all I, my only thing on that TV show was when the studio audience came in. I was just like, okay, so from the moment they all walked in, I just had to keep talking. I didn't know what I was going to talk about, and I did my own warm-up, and then I used to talk in between the segments as well and try to keep everyone entertained because I felt like if they were happy, even if all of that's going to be edited out, then the people at home would enjoy it if there was a nice vibe in there. So at the moment I've got like a a pilot with uh, NBC for a a multicam sitcom and what's happening with corona and everything, if the pilot goes ahead, there's a good chance we won't have a studio audience, which is sort of need for multicams, and I'm – that's what I'm most nervous about, not the acting or anything, but that there won't be an audience there. Interesting. Well, yeah, I was going to ask that if, like, what's happening with the show. But well, I, no one knows. Okay, got it. It's, it all I know is it's not cancelled. Okay, and that's, I'm, I'm happy with that answer. It was all going ahead. We had all the stages built. The, the show is completely cast. I yeah. can tell you who the cast is and, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, and we were ready to go, and then Corona came in, and they went, "Oh, we'll push it back two weeks," and that was two months ago. And now we're 
or maybe two and a half months ago, and now we're still waiting to see what's going to happen. There's talk of people filming outside of LA, mm-hmm. you know, going to uh, stages in Nevada, et cetera. Okay. And then, like, everyone's just going to camp out and go from, uh, like, army barracks to, well, you know, whatever, a hotel, sure. all get tested and then move and then, you know what I mean? It's the, it's, uh, <laughs> it's the perfect scenario for people to get on each other's nerves. Right, yeah. Not get, or, seem- or have affairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This wasn't how I pictured this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like if you can't leave your hotel and go out by yourself and have meals by yourself or whatever, I, I don't know how it will happen. But I got I got, I got Anthony LaPaglia's in it. He just... Uh, Why does that Anthony sound- Paglia's an Australian actor. He's, uh, he, he's the first Australian to win a Tony Award. Oh, okay. And he won an Emmy and he's uh, like a really great oh. actor. But he was in the movie called uh, Lantana was mm-hmm. one and... I'm going to be the most disappointing actor you've ever spoken to. I've seen Big Mama's House 13 times. Nothing and wrong with that. I've never seen how did, Snatch. How did the, uh, Snatch is great. I know. I've got a whole list of movies that I should have Snatch seen. Is the be- Snatch is the best one of the Guy Ritchie films. Lockstock's all right. The last one, The Gentleman, is I didn't get it all. Oh, I saw I was that. enjoying it and I was like, oh, the acting's good. But the problem is... That all the characters in it that were like, all right, Mickey, the knife, all right, then all okay, go, we're boxing down, you know, fucking thing, like that. Those guys exist, but they're all like 60 now. There's not really young people who talk like that in London. Like, I'm sure there's the odd person, but it's almost like they're doing an impersonation yeah. of what a Cockney should be like. The younger generation, so it just sort of felt out, it felt like it was a period piece, but it was set today, I've been told. Well, here's my issue I love anything Charlie Hunnam does. Sons right. of Anarchy was my favorite show. Like, if I got to Did you want him for Fifty Shades? I want him to do anything and I'll be part of it. My, But in particular, kind of less the actor but more Jax Teller from Sons of Anarchy is like my ultimate. Do you have like an ultimate? Some people say like Jessica Rabbit or like whoever oh, well, like my, my, not the actress but the, the actress, character. The character that's a crush of mine. Um, is, we're talking about crushes, not yeah. Okay. Um... Oh, holy hell. I'll have to think on that. No, okay, I you don't can really, come back to it. I, I, look, in my teen years, it was it was Alicia Silverstone in Clueless, which which sort of <laughs> says why I've dated women I have. Okay, like, <laughs> vapid, pointless people. <laughs> people are horrible to you. Have you? Yeah, I mean, I did a full series of that as well. I was definitely very promiscuous, just looking for people who would hurt me and, like, and totally, like, tick the box of, like, do you, oh, you'll do you find with being an actor? So, so, so Charlie Hunnam, I met him once at a. Uh, we were. I was on FX when. If Sons you're of about, hold on. If you're about to say something horrible about him, I'm going to. No, 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 okay. no. He was super nice. He was okay. super nice. And I met him in the hotel, and and uh, and uh, I go, hello, g'day, Charlie. Uh, hello, he's British. He went, hello, like this, right? And I said, oh, because I lived in England for ten years. Sure. And I said, oh, where are you from in England? And he said, uh, Newcastle, right? But he had a super posh accent because it's obviously changed over the time. Now, the New- Newcastle accent is only beaten by the Birmingham and um, uh, Liverpool okay, for so roughness, okay. right? right? But it's like, it's like that at deck, like, way, hey, man. Oh, no. Oh, that's great. That is, you know, that's that yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Day four in the Big Brother house. Right, that's the that's the voice, right? Yes. And then I went. Ah, he goes. I'm I'm actually from Newcastle. I said, Why, hey man, how you doing? Like that. And he goes. Ah, oh, you know then, Dean. Oh, <laughs> oh, so it's all an act. No, he'd been hiding that accent for a long time, like you because it's it. one of those ones you can't work with in Hollywood. This, our accents are, are rubbish. They're bad, terrible. You can't work with them. You can work with you're British. You can be sure. a villain. You can be a love interest. Yes. You, as long as you're posh, you can be the best friend in any rom-com and they won't even explain it. why that person it – because mm. it doesn't need explaining. It's just a friend. We don't need to hear their backstory. And they're just like, oh, Mary, don't you be dating that person. What are you doing over there? Like that and, oh, Mr. Bond and all that type of stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But if there's an Australian, there has to be some reason. Oh, when did you like, – like, hey, Mr. Bond, you cunt. I'm going to fucking – you know what I mean? Yeah, like, we yeah. can't – there, yeah, no. The only person, yes, is, my friend Reese Darby, is the only one. He's been on this podcast. Is the only one that's that that is just held out on the New Zealand accent. Well, he's. <laughs> well, I spoke to him about it, and he's like, "That's my thing. That's now what I get hired for." So, I good I, for him. I did a I did a movie with Reese, and I don't want to say what it is, but I did a movie because okay. it wasn't. I'm not good at it. But okay, sure. Anyway, but, but what happened was, uh, I actually Reese was hired, and I was hired, and then like. 
And then they go, uh, they go. Oh, we've decided there can't be two like foreigners, uh, foreigners in the thing. And uh, they go, so one of you has to do an American accent, and I was just like this. I'll give it a go. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll try. Give it a go. Yeah. I had no training. Great. Just had a go. And <laughs> it's not good. It's not- <laughs> It's like it's good, but you only need to fuck up four percent of it for it to be terrible. And people go, oh, it's yeah, there's yeah, one word here, one word there. Most of it, I was good, but then you fuck up a little bit. And, and also, I'm acting alongside Reese, and Reese is just, you know, doing Reese. <laughs> and then I'm like, it's very hard to counteract that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a quite a bad accent mimicker as well. I've mimicker. Noticed, yeah, like I'll probably give us twenty minutes, and I'll and I'll I'll start getting a bit of a an Australian twit. Like, I don't know. It's just my desperate desire to be a people pleaser. No, I'm not going to. Yeah, go on, give us, an, you, give, no, give us an Australian accent. What's the, what's the I'll do uh, my New Zealand afterwards. Okay, so I guess uh, it's a little, oh, hold on. I guess. Sydnicity. <laughs> Sydney. It's just so. Sydnicity. Yeah, it's kind of like, I guess, Link, Lincoln Lewis, he kind of talks like this a bit. And you're uh, you're talking like this a bit. And yeah. We go up at the yeah. end. Okay. Like that. Do your New Zealand. New Zealand? Oh, no. Oh, what are we going to do there? Oh, okay. Oh, I'll, t- I'll tell you, all New Zealand comedy, and I know a lot of them, all New Zealand comedy is people being confused, yeah, right? Yes, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All your comics are just people who are confused in a scenario, right? So any any sketch that involves New Zealanders will go along like this. Oh, what? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, I'll put that back then. Oh, no. Oh, that wasn't mine. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was fun. It's like it's like being it's being bedazzled by mundane things as well. Oh, where did you get that spinning top from? Oh, can I spin it, bro? Oh no! Oh, I'm laughing because it's great to hear an observation on myself, and also that is really funny and spot on. Well done, Sam. What's the what, what's the, the my favorite New Zealander joke? It's not a sheep fucking one. My favorite one is there's some truth in that. So. Yeah, yeah, but like everyone's got a country. I lived sure. in in England, and the Welsh fucked the sheep. And then there was other. Everyone's, everyone's got a country with a safe fuck sheep, sure, right? Sure, Maybe sure. this is on the sheep now. New Zealand often goes, well, if you can catch them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is the end to that? Yeah. Sure. Well, it's not. I have some sheep ones, but mm-hmm. my favourite one is uh, what does a New Zealand, <laughs> what does a New Zealand Jew speak? Hebrew. <laughs> That's low-hanging fruit. Come on. <laughs> Hebrew. Hebrew. Oh, yes. Yes, fun All stuff. All right. Um, okay, so one of the big things that I struggle with. Wait a minute. Do you think we fuck sheep? Australians. Yeah. What's our reputation with you? I've never asked one of you people. One of me people. Yeah. Um, we think you're all just a bit arrogant, a yeah. bit much. Yeah, it's yeah. all everyone's like, oh, turn it. Like when we, if someone would go, what's the difference between a New Zealand and Australian accent? I would go, oh, um, oh Australians are all here and they're all this and da da da. And New Zealanders, they just don't care. I, I had a New Zealand friend of mine say to me, he goes, it must have been tough growing up in Australian school with all the all the teasing and whatnot. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I think they think. I think they think because our cricket players are always sledging each other, which is like sledging. What's yeah, the word in America? Um, Slating, uh, giving you, each other shit. Yeah, you uh, stand. Yeah. The wicketkeeper stands. It's like the catcher just yeah. uh, talking to the batter and saying, "I fucked your wife." Type yeah, of stuff, yeah, right? But yeah. Australians do that non-stop, and I don't think it's highly intelligent stuff either. And no. Then, and the New Zealanders are like, "All right, bro, I've got it. You think my wife is fat? Okay." <laughs> you sound South African. Oh yeah, that's the. <laughs> That's that's that's, that, that's if my accent fucked your accent. Yeah. That's what happens. You get a South African, the the worst accent of them all. Oh, it's horrible. And Good. people people think we sound like that as I, well. It doesn't make sense. Hey, uh, can you do that one? South African? No, I just sound. I'll tell you what I'll do for you. There you go. You? Ooh. Oh, you have a podcast, do you? Oh, this this is big for you. I'm very excited. Everything's <laughs> like everything's like complimentary and patronising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, look! So you have Purell. Someone's someone's making I a bit of well. money. They yeah. are. Someone's very wealthy. They are. Okay, sorry. So let's get into what the podcast. Okay, depression. Is. I guess I wanted to talk to you mostly about like this ups and downs kind of situation because right. I thought that I was handling ups and downs of uh, the industry really well, and then I had a down and couldn't get back up and. Didn't quite understand how to. Well, when, when you say like, what you're talking about, career up and downs or just life yeah, up and downs? Well, a bit of both, but 
what what triggered my depression now I'm learning a lot of context clues that it's probably been something that's been a lifer but yeah. um I have a horrible self-talk that I thought everybody had and this was just my ignorance it's also been my drive it's been my motivator so I yeah, I, I had I had a lust to to prove people wrong and to and to win and all that type of stuff because I I felt so down or disliked myself so much and I thought if I did A B and C and I did this with my career and that with my career then all of this would go away and it never it never did and only sort of and I I. I I've been going through a spot of depression at the moment and I don't want to get into that, but the last two years before this has been probably the clearest two years I've had. And I think... um, Why? uh, Well, you have to really stop giving a fuck. That's the secret is you have to stop. Because I believe my father suffered from severe depression, severe, like suicidal depression. Um, And And were you aware of that growing up? I was a little boy when when I was happening, but he went into homes and he he did everything, you know. And uh, um, my father um, now isn't depressed at all. He's almost 80. And my theory on this is that he he got to sort of – the depression – I saw him being depressed in his 60s and then not so much in his 70s and and now it's pretty much all gone. I think it's because a lot of depression is about – holding yourself to task and like, am I doing the best job? Did I do the wrong thing there? Like, yeah. not, I don't forgive myself for mistakes. I don't forgive myself. And I've been to therapy and they just go, it was 10 years ago. It was 20 years. I go, yeah, but I shouldn't have done that. And I just hold on to it. It's like a lot of depression is guilt or mm-hmm. shame. And um, so I think when you get to really old, like, will I be, uh, I'm, not, I'm just saying this because mm-hmm. of me, will I be the man I want to be? Will I be the 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 father I want to be? Will I be the best husband? Will I be the best employee? Will I be the best comic? Will I be the best, you know what I mean? And then you know, not all those things are going to happen. You might achieve some of them, you might achieve none of them, right? But when you get really old, I hope this happens for me as well because I saw this happen with my father. He just sort of went, oh, well, the didn't happen then, did it? And he just accepted that as the normal rather than still striving. And because the striving is the thing that keeps you depressed and trying to fix things and trying to trying to sort things out rather than just acceptance. And so if you just accept that you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days, you're going to have good things in your career, you're going to have bad things in your career, um, you, 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 you gotta, you got to be happy for the luck you get and not be angry at the fucking bad luck you get, you know what I mean? I do. Uh, that makes sense to me um, holistically. Yeah, I know, but it takes a long time to get to that point. And and I I yeah. got I I can get to that point for six months at a time. Yeah. But then it then it comes back like a thing, and that you're a piece of shit, and you're nothing, and you're. Is that how it shows up? So that's how it shows up to me is just yeah. this talk. But I understand that's not again my ignorance. Uh, not everyone's depre- brand of depression is the same. Of like. No, what? I I've had. <sighs> I've had the staying in bed for a couple of weeks type okay. of depression. Um, and, I, I, you know, I never got depression from, like, I've gotten sadness from someone dumping me or a relationship breaking up, but that's never really brought on depression as much because I've always been able to rationalise that. Uh, but my, my a lot of my pain comes from my childhood and things that I think about myself from things that happened to me that were out of my control. And I, um, I've self-medicated over the years and I don't, you know, I've never, I look, there's an argument that I'm an alcoholic or something, but I've never classified myself as an alcoholic because I go years without it. And then I'm, what I am is a, I'm an extremist. I'm, I'm a binge drinker or a, or whatever. I have no. Which is I have nods to the, our cultures. Yeah, yeah. Well. I have no interest in having one beer, right? And I have no interest in one line of cocaine. Yep. And uh, I don't see the point in it. I do, however, see the point in getting completely fucked up. And so, if I'm going for it, I'll You're go. For I'll it. go for it. Do you drink now? Um, very, very rarely. Okay. Now, um, I've taken to weed, and weed um, to me. Is not a um, is not is a thing I can do in moderation because I don't like getting too high. I do like getting too wasted. You Got know? it. So I, too high with depression, you can have that tipping point where you get in your head and then you're paranoid and then that's not good. Well, yeah. So I this is so great. So everyone has like prescribed me like you should smoke weed and I can't. There's no in-between. It's like alcohol, I'm a bit of a slut, then I'm asleep, and it's mm. a very small window. Yeah. Same with weed. I'm like, oh, this is a bit fun, super paranoid. Yeah, like, yeah. 
Yeah, no, no, I, I've, I have had to learn my measurements and I stick to them. Okay, okay. And I, I eat about 15 to 20 milligrams of edibles is what, is what I find is my nice little sweet spot. Okay. Mushrooms, same thing. I don't have a problem. But see, the thing about any addiction or anything where you use a substance to – because when I – was drunk. I never. I was carefree. I really was. I was never a sad drunk. Okay. You know, I probably got into a couple of fights and stuff because you know you don't know when to shut up, sure. right? <laughs> okay. I, I was definitely. A, I don't know when to shut up sure. or, or walk away. You know, because there, there's things with alcohol where I probably would have walked away from situations that I just sort of stayed. You know, um, and there's you know there's there's probably undesirable people I hung out with or slept sure. with or whatever. You sure. know what I mean? There's a lot of bad there's a lot of bad shit that goes, you know, I'll tell you what I, I know with weed, in difference from alcohol, weed doesn't make you send people stupid texts. Alcohol for some reason has this text gene in it. Okay, so I want to talk about this. This is something I haven't really talked about uh, because I feel a chemistry connection between us of a promiscuous, uh, like a p- playful like kind of promiscuity which, what, I, we're both promiscuous is what you're saying? Yeah, well, kind of like I guess I'm relating to what you're saying of kind of like maybe it was a form of medicating. I don't know that it's like this attention that I crave from perhaps other people. Yeah, yeah. Or it never only it's created me a lot of guilt in hindsight, but at the time it always feels justified. It feels like real connections with people. It's never felt like. And any, any drug of any substance that I've abused um, – has come from a position of pain. There's other drugs I've taken, ecstasy and whatever, that wouldn't even get close to getting into my system where I wanted to do it again tomorrow and I wanted to do it again. It was it was a nice little fun trip and it was right. off you go. Same with mushrooms. I don't have to do it all the time because it's a fun little thing. And But alcohol was definitely a, a pain thing. They, they, we, we had a person on my podcast, the I Don't Know About That with Jim Jeffrey show, download it now. It is, anyway, and it's so, great. Um, I had a person on my podcast who, who was uh, an expert on addiction and he, he he told us all about um, that. Okay, so when the when the guys came back from Vietnam, they were all taking heroin and morphine and stuff like that. And when they came back, very few of them were still addicted because the the war was over and they didn't need to be addicted. When your when your grandmother gets a hip operation and they put her on morphine, uh, they put her on yeah morphine. Mm. When she comes out, she's not a junkie anymore. Mm. The, the, the addiction side really hangs on to is your pain healed or not? And until you heal someone's pain, you're not going to heal the addiction because they don't want to stop doing it because they do like it because it softens the other symptom. Do you, would you go as far as, and I guess what I was trying to draw a parallel is like, I think that I definitely went through a season of like being addicted to attention to have yeah, meaning. No, well, that's, but that's our job, isn't it? The problem is yeah, we've, gone in, a, we've gone into an occupation. I that loved is, people falling in love with me, though. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. That's not, not crap. Yes, yes, But yes. it didn't feel calculative. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I, I once had a girlfriend who had really, she Daddy had. issues? No, she, well, she really had, like, she needed male attention. It was like yeah. really, you know, I've probably had a couple of girlfriends like that. But that was, you know, I wasn't enough, I don't think, you know what I mean? Because, and it wasn't that she didn't like me, she did. It was just, you get that. Yeah. And I've probably, I've had that in my life. I've definitely had that with girls where it's like my self-worth was connected to if if women found me attractive, you know, if if, <laughs> if if I went to a comedy club, it wasn't about how many laughs, it was about how many girls looked at me afterwards. And, and that sort of, that's that fades when you get older because you just get less attractive, you know. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you're fishing. You're very attractive. No, 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 I don't, no, I don't mean that, but just age, no, you know what I mean? Sure. Like like girls, girls aren't, you know, they, and you also you got a kid and there's, you're a different sure. person, you know. Um, but... Yeah, no, I've been. Yeah, I guess I've been addicted to that. I think everyone's addicted to that. Are we all addicted to to being loved and? Well, sure, but I guess it was like where I was putting my value. It was like. I think becoming a father changed that for me. Okay. Because, and, and it might not for every dad, and it might not for me if I didn't have the son that I have. But my son is, and I can't get over it. He's the most loving child I've ever met, and he just hugs you all the time. And just, oh, I love you, Dad. You're the best. Last night he laid next to me. He goes, "There's nothing you could ever do that would stop me loving you, Dad." Like that, right? He just said that. Before. Oh my god! He, he says Did things he like that all the. No, but he says things like that all day. So you're like, all right, mate. Turn all it day, down. right? And I'm like, oh, all right, okay, like that, right? And and so I so I feel oh. like I'm, I'm getting 
the affection I need in in life a lot more than before because before yeah. that it wasn't I didn't I didn't have that type of love in my life yeah mm. and I'm I'm not saying that that's the same as having women like you or something like that but there is there is things that can be put in place fulfillment things that can be put in place that sort of nullify the other thing yeah, I guess that attention barrier, it's like it's like hard because part of it I feel like is my personality that I love like getting to know people mm. and like this is a really heightened, exciting experience for me to have like a I'm a curious conversationalist. Right. Like this attention and you know, this intimacy is really fun for me. But I guess I just felt like for a lot of time it was just misplaced. So it's just like searching kind of for something, I guess. But I don't know. You don't tell know. me. Your, it's your pocket. Like I I'm hoping you have more Tell me the answers. I thought you'd have more information on your depression. <laughs> I guess what has happened was I thought that the diagnosis, like there were, whilst there was a sense of relief in it, it's now kind of opened up this whole portal of like now me trying to control my thoughts and like just was it was it was it uh, manic depression or just depression? Uh, she described it initially as seasonal depression because it was tied to a triggering event that is now. I just fall from, I don't know if this is universal, but you do a bunch of Q&As and you get a bunch of points and then mm. I was under severely depressed, which I guess I was a little resistant because I'm like, oh, I'm... I, I was diagnosed, I'm severely depressed. Yeah. Okay. But then I thought for a while that I was I was self-diagnosing, then I was I was bipolar, but I feel that depression, and I don't mean to be rude to you, I'm, I'm talking about myself, Yeah. is in many ways a very selfish illness. Yes. It's and, and when you say that, I've said that before, and then people go, go, well, I'm not, you're like, no, no, no. You, you have to understand that that it is on you, you know, this is your issue, not everybody else's. And you do bring people down around you and people try to help you. And people who love you never give up on you, you yeah. know. But you, you, uh, it is such a, a woe is me type of thing. Because you do know, you're a rational person. You do know that there's people in Africa carrying fucking jugs of water in their head and, and walking 10 miles and their kids have got HIV and all that type of stuff and they have less depression than you. You understand that, right? Yes, I got diagnosed and went straight to India and went and visited my sponsor child and it just heightened my depression because I was like, I'm even more of a piece of shit. Because exactly, <laughs> but you're not a piece of shit. It's a clinical thing that goes on in your brain. Yes. But, but you, you're not, but you, you have to try to rationalise that type of thing that things could always be worse. And I know it's a simple statement, but things yeah. can always be worse. And I've had terrible things happen, but they can still get worse. Yeah, I guess I guess what I'm trying to do is like learn the tools of like where I sit Today in front of you, I feel in a good place with it, but I've also becoming more aware of like how quickly my thoughts spiral, how mm. quickly some a day can turn into a bad day because I start exaggerating thought and stuff. So, oh yeah, I I, I think that people think that I may be, and when you're famous, and I'm not stupidly famous, but I'm famous enough that I get recognised every day, and mm-hmm. um, I, I think I think I think what people must think of me is a bit. there's a a theory that I'm a grumpy bastard, right? Because I I sit in my car and if I'm depressed, I'm just sitting there just going, (sighs) it's like if you see me at the lights, you'll go, what the fuck's wrong with that guy, right? There's nothing about the people around me. I'm just just self-hating, you know? I'm not fucking hating you people. How do you get out of that? Are you aware enough? Like does it happen enough? I try try when I interact with people to always put a smile on my face no matter what. Does that feel dishonest? A little. Do you feel like you're hiding the true you and people want yeah, to Yeah, but know I don't you? I don't okay, so my my mother uh, she passed away a year ago in two days actually. Okay. Um but my mother um did a thing that I'm guilty of doing a little bit that whenever I saw her do it, it used to bother the shit out of me and I notice myself doing it now. Okay. When someone asks you how are you, you just say, I'm great, thanks. Right? My mother thought that was a genuine question that she had to answer, right? So she, someone could ring up from the bank and go, hi, how are you doing today? Not good. I have pain in my lower back and my diabetes is not where I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm, I'm ringing about this bill, right? And I right. was like, I did that the other day with like, like an, a friend of mine who's like an actor. It doesn't matter that he's an actor. And he, and he texts me like, hey, how are you doing, man? And I said, oh, I'm not good. I'm a bit depressed, actually. And like, I hadn't spoken to this person in six fucking months. What am I bothering that with? You've got your, so you've got your support system of a few friends and yeah. stuff like that. But I, I, I think I did that with you in the text because I thought we were talking about depression. I said, I'm a bit down at the moment. I just don't know if I... 
So I guess in that, like, this is what I struggle with is like, I love a version of me and hate another version yes, of me. Yes, completely. And I don't want anyone to see the version of me I hate because I hate it. I don't want to be around it. So why would I burden you with showing that version of me? Yeah. But I don't arguably have been told by my therapist until I love, <clears throat> excuse me, until I love all the versions of me, I can't really truly be happy. And like, I'm also robbing you the experience of getting to know this version of me and actually <laughs> maybe enjoying it. What I need to work more on is I, okay, so a therapist once said to me that he said, if your son did these, what you claim to be terrible things in your life, if your son did these things, would you forgive him? And I said, well, of course I would. And they're like, why can't you forgive yourself? I can't, I can't, I try. And the problem I have with therapy, and I don't know if you have this, I don't, it hasn't always worked for me and I've tried and tried and I've tried different therapists and there's ones that work a little bit and there's ones that work not at all, but never, it's never worked what I'd say perfectly. Mm-hmm. I think as a comedian, I'm so used to talking and just talking about myself like I'm doing now that I go in there and I just talk for an hour and I've learned fucking nothing more. No one's no one's deva- no one's pulling anything out of me where I go, oh an aha moment. Yeah, you know what I mean? I'm just I'm just this guy who just fucking just dribbles on and just says everything all the fucking time. And that was sort of the business for me, you know? Right. And so like you don't feel to me to be a person who has a problem talking either. No. I feel like if you're a if you're a, if you're a locked door or whatever you call that, right? <coughs> Closed box. Yep. Right? Therapy's probably good for you. But yeah. I've got nothing buried in me. It's all sitting out and festering. I thought that. Yeah, I thought that. But there's obviously something in this, like, self-hatred version that maybe I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't offer everything up to the whole world. Okay. But, but I have friends and family that I do. You yeah. can talk to. Yeah, yeah the, I have no secrets in my life that I haven't told people. I have nothing in my life that I haven't told people. But not the whole world, of course. Mm. What does your brain look like? <laughs> it's mostly it's mostly uh, just Swiss cheese now. There's little pockets of cocaine. And there's a there's a little porn section, Pornhub section at the back. And oh, good. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty good. And it's not chaotic. It's just no, my my brain's chaotic. I I don't I I I never it never turns off. So mine it looks like kind of. Um, a fire and an Oh, you're talking about thing. like when you actually look at the scan of it? No, like mine looks like in the picture of what I think my brain is at the moment. It's this forest that's on fire and an icy lake and I just jump between the two. Both are painful and horrible and there's no like rest either. Like I just feel like I'm in duality of like the extremes of things. I do have a small section in my brain that I can turn on uh, sporadically, which has nothing it doesn't stop thinking. I have I have like a, like a worry space where my worrying is always at between seven and ten, mm-hmm. right? And if I don't have something to worry about, I'll manufacture something to worry about. I'm never carefree, <laughs> which is funny because as an audience. You come across as quite good. Well, I'm carefree when I'm doing stand-up for the most part. For that hour and a half, my brain's just working on performance and all that type of stuff. For that, oh. Can you hear something? Oh, it's your phone. I could like, it's, it's I'm some, like, I can hear some, a doorbell. There's someone at my doorbell. Okay. All right. They probably, <laughs> probably heard the podcast and now I'm out and they're robbing me right now. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, so, sorry, you're never carefree. I... Well, when I'm Unless on stage, on stage, well, I'm 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 stress free on stage because I'm too busy thinking about jokes and all that type of stuff and how to perform them and stuff like that. But I'm not, you know, yeah. Look, I've probably had a day here, a day there. I, I don't know, you know. There, there's definitely happiness in my life. There's mm-hmm. definitely there's definitely days where I'm completely happy, but I've always got to worry. Even if, even if I'm playing with my son and we're at Disneyland or something like that, my yeah, I still have a worry that something bad might happen or, you know what I mean? I don't like answering the phone. I don't like it. The phone rings and I go, because it's a mixed bag, the old phone, isn't it? You don't know what's going Yeah, yeah, good news, so bad news. What you got? My, yeah, yeah. my management ringing me up, it could be I've just gotten a movie and a, a $2 million deal for something, right? Or, we're or, going- or your career's over. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Why? Because there's even better stuff coming in the second half of the show. Stay tuned. 
we all need to be a bit better with self-care. I, for one, know that if I spend too much time trying to clock the internet or straying away from what I'm supposed to be doing, I don't feel great and my mental health definitely takes a bit of a knock. However, I think that I might have found the solution. Best Fiends. It's fun, it's engaging, it's visually appealing as well. And what I love most about it is that while I'm trying to be self-disciplined in staying at home and completing tasks, this is my little treat to myself. It's healthier than scrolling the net and I do get a real sense of achievement. I love passing levels, changing my fiends around to see which one is going to help me conquer that level best. My entire family is playing along, even my nieces and nephews. I'm currently at level 432 and each week we check in as a family to see who is taking the crown. This week, of course, it is me. I'd love for you guys to join in and let me know what level you're up to too. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the art. Best Fiends. Are you afraid of like this cancellation culture that like uh, I feel like Hollywood has got like I, I, well well not Hollywood that's such it yeah I've, people I, I look I've said a lot of shit and over the years and you know people could try to pull me up for but I also think you know I'm a comic I've always been joking I've never you know so I don't I don't know I don't know like I I, I try not to think about that yeah. I try not to worry about that because if it happens it happens and. And I'll just go off and into the sunset. I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that. The, the main thing... Have you always felt that way about it? Like, surely uh, starting the, out, you must the, have kind the, of been with strangling the, with it With a, a career, I'm like... Now I'm like, um, you've got to get to a stage where the people, the people who are around you, who love you, who are your friends and your family, who are the real people who are going to stick by you, they're the ones that matter. Someone talking about you on the internet doesn't matter. I've I, I, very few times I've read something about me on the internet that that if these people knew the facts wouldn't write. You know what I mean? And I, you can say I'm fucking fat or balding or whatever. I don't give a fuck. That doesn't bother me. You know what I mean? But you know something about my comedy or something about my TV show or something like that. I, I don't I don't okay. let those people affect me anymore. Um, I've stopped looking at comments on the internet. I don't look at comments on the internet anymore. That I must just, be a weird addiction to when it starts. Um, I've had some things in my career where it's gone mental, the hate's gone mental and, you know, um, and you can't, you can only, as I say, you can only really gauge your, your ticket sales really. You can only really gauge who's coming out to see you and if the people who are watching you like you, you know, they're, they're, there's, there's statistics you can watch in this career to find out if you're doing well. That's true. You, you can see ratings and you can see whatever. And... And at the end of the day, I'm just trying to make people laugh, aren't I? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I, I don't. That's... I don't really have an ulterior motive. Some people think that I'm like this left wing thing who's trying to bring down the government or something. <laughs> I really, I really don't have any motive at all. What is it? What does a Jim Jeffries fan look like? Um, well, they're they're aging now, you know. But well, I'm just I'm just curious. So, like, I... it used to be just men, okay. young men in the early days, and then. It became like now it's sort of like like couples in their thirties is for the most part come and see me you know what I mean and and there's I always love it when there's like an eighty year old I think that's great oh, that's what an awesome eighty year old I, yeah, I would I, want to have a drink with them I love that when I like, see when I see them in the audience I'm like oh you're all right you yeah. oh, I have no problem with that um, it but it is primarily it's more men than it is women there isn't you never see like a group of girls come to my show so people are always like this it's like it's like uh, before I did theatres, I used to play comedy clubs and people used to just show up and I'd put on a good show. And then when I was single, very easy to meet women, very easy because there'd be bachelorette parties and stuff like that. And then you play like, like I did 13,000 seats in, in Melbourne and, and, uh, and like, I remember someone going, Oh, it must be easy for you to meet pussy. And it's like, what it's, it's all men. And the women that are there have been brought by men. Who are dating? There isn't. There isn't. There isn't a single single woman. That's so interesting. <laughs> and also, also in these theater, in these uh, theaters and arenas, 
when you fin- you you come in through a stage door with security, yeah. you come in, you do your show, you leave, you get in the car, and you go to wherever you're going, a bar or a restaurant or whatever. You, in a comedy club, you go and stand at the back of the room afterwards, and you wait for people to come and talk to you. I was just on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one, no one talks to me anymore. I, I got me, I got you, me, I got you've me. You've like surpassed this level of, a, of yeah, my, being part of your own community. Yeah, yeah. You can't. You 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 get more isolated the bigger you get, you know, and you get more isolated from other comedians as well because you don't work in comedy clubs as much. But I have my guys. I take on the road with me and different people that I, I hang out with. I've, I've I have different friends in comedy that I chat to sort of daily, but I don't really go to comedy clubs anymore. I do a little bit. Can I ask a question about... I don't know if that answered any question what I just talked about then. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was very insightful. Uh, So I guess I'm pursuing a slightly different goal of of the acting, but it's similar. So your pursuit was always stand-up, right? I wanted to be a stand-up from the time I was about 13, 14. Did you ever reach a point that you were like, oh, this, I did it? Or is yeah. that goalpost? Yeah, the, the the happiest I ever was was uh, being a full time stand up comedian in London and having fifteen gigs a month in the diary. And I thought that's fucking. And, and at I, the time, you felt like you'd done it. That was all I wanted to do was meet, pay my bills, and just and just write write on forms when the, they said occupation stand up comedian. That's all I wanted to write, and then never had an intention of doing any acting. And my acting resume is very small and the best acting I've done is in a TV show where I was playing myself. Great. And so the next the next thing I'm doing is another thing where I'm playing myself. I, I think I, I sometimes feel a little bit like, oh, no one wants me to act in something. But then it's quite an honour that, that, that people want to pay money for you to play you. They yeah. think they think you're that interesting. So I've sort of That's I take amazing. I take that as a badge of honor now, really. You should that take people that don't it. want me to be anything else but myself. Yeah, what you're doing is great. Yeah. Got, it's like Reese Darby. We just want that yeah. in this movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they just want me to play me. No one's ever gonna make me do a dramatic role. I don't think they might. They might. They one might day. hear this. They might one day. Yeah. And I, I could. Uh, I could do something. I, you know, I, I, and also when they want you to be you, they want you to create the show. They want you to write the show. They want you. And, you know, you know what I'd really love? And this opportunity has never come up. I'd like to just be Cliff or Norm on Cheers. I'd love to be in a sitcom where I have six lines. I go, da ba da da da, have a few laughs. I'd like to be Newman. That's all. Like, yeah. That would be, we, I'm sure we can make that happen. Well, maybe. Aren't you writing your own show? I'm Can't writing my t- own show at the moment. I'm in every scene. Why? I'm in every bloody scene. Because I, I have to learn so Oh, well, it's also, it's sure. it, this new show, this new TV show is based, like the last, the, 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 legit the sitcom, the, the sitcom on FX was based on my life just before I sort of um, got more popular. Got it. And now this sitcom's based on my life about three years ago. So it was like I had the TV show, the Jim Jeffries show, and there's yeah. a similar show like that in the in the new sitcom. Uh, my mother – well, it's sort of mixed. So my mother just passed away. My father came to live with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my ex lives five doors up and has a, has a boyfriend, and and uh, my son just goes between the two houses like almost every day and Great. just hangs out, just walks between them. Is that know. just in the show or is there it's, something it's my, real about that? That's my real life, yeah. Is that real? Yeah, yeah, it's my real life, yeah. And so the TV show now, and so there's like, it's like uh, my ex dates a guy from Africa, really nice fellow. He used to be a professional soccer player, played in France and all that type of stuff. And um, so I was saying that to the executives, and they were like, "Wow!" And so it's like, so we have like an African character in there with an African accent and all that type of stuff in a multi game sitcom. And I'm worried that people will go, "Oh, that's a bit forced," or that's like them trying to do diversity or what sure. you know what I mean. They're going to try to put something on that. Yeah, yeah. But no, everything that's happening in sitcoms true. Yeah, every, and it's all sort of true stories. Um, so, so the two sitcoms are really part one and part two of, of me life. That's which, a really cool thing. What a cool like time capsule. Well, to I, have. I keep on, I keep on trying to write. I, I wrote this one sitcom about me being one of the original dancers from the Thunder from Down Under, right? And it almost got on TVS, and it was really funny. The script's great. It was, I think, it was one of my favourite scripts I ever wrote, and then it just never hey, got can made. You dance? Well, that was the whole idea. None of them could. Yeah. I went and actually went to the Thunder from Down Under to do some research. I flew out to Vegas just to watch it before I wrote the mm. episode. And it was me and a friend that I was writing the episode with, and me and him sat there. We were the only men in the yeah. room. 
And for anyone who doesn't know what Thunder Down Under is, it's like a, an all Australian, all Australian, yeah, troupe they, of they, male they dancers. Ca- they come strippers. out to thunder, yeah, thunder, and they're ripping off their g-strings and they pull away pants, right. and then they have one thing where they come out in like business suits, and the dance is called Fifty Shades of G'day. You know, right. it's a, it's a good show. It's good. It's That's good quality, show. right? But they're all like jacked up steroid guys. They were all super nice. Oh, I'm sure. And we came. We we went out there, and uh, I, you know, my respect for women did drop ever so slightly. Like like I I never want to hear you girls get into us again about how we behave in strip clubs. My well, word. See, I this is something interesting. Um, uh, no, you're all grabbing at them. I, I grabbing disagree. at dicks, just grabbing. I disagree. There is nothing I want less than. Uh, sorry for the visual for people who can't see this. It's like me being there and someone like putting a penis. In I, my face. I know what you're saying, and there's exceptions to the rules. But some some of the women, the guy came out and he said, "Hey, you're all out here. Welcome to the show." He goes, "You're all here." Most of them bachelorette parties, yeah, right? Of course. They go, "Most of you are here with your mothers, your mother-in-law, your sisters, your daughters." But you know who's not here? Your husbands and your fucking boyfriends. And they go right? crazy. And they went. Ah! Like that, right? Now, men, when we go into strip clubs, they don't go, welcome Cindy to the pole. And we go, ah, we don't do it. We sit back like fucking, like like wolves that are looking at a sheep like that we're about, like, ah, you know what I mean? Where you guys just scream and then, like, they go down sometimes and women just grabbing an old, 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 like, grandma doing it. See, that feels feels like a bit of a double standard. Um, Why? What? Well, that... We have this stereotype of men being complete pervs, yet women are. Oh yes, like, okay. I yeah. thought you were saying. Okay, no, we say I didn't really have a, a problem with it as such, but it was an eye opener. Where I, yeah, where I, I, like, I was like, I, I, I didn't aggressive. expect it. I thought you'd all stand there like that and clap, oh, and then like wonderful. some guy would come up and you go, "Oh, get off it! What are you doing like that?" Right? And then like a friend, like like a guy would sit on your lap, and your friends would go, "You have this," oh and it's like you, you tease and stuff. Yeah. But the girl starts grabbing at the guy on the on the lap, and it's like, so what's that? That's that's interesting. I've not experienced. I mean, I'm aware that it exists, but yeah, I don't feel like I would be into that. Uh, Maybe it, I would. Maybe I, I think, just need to I think, up. I think it's an hour and a half of escapism where you just go, all right, fuck it, I'll just. And, and I think it. a lot of this is what I say about it. Like, a lot of you go to the strip club ironically. Yes, or is there, uh, yeah, is go, there go another the way to go? Yeah, you go yeah. there ironically, and then you're ironically grabbing a cock, and then one of your friends is ironically sleeping with another strippers. That's, that's, that's the chain of how it happened. <laughs> Yeah, that feels like a natural progression. <laughs> I feel like that's how it works, right? Oh yeah, it's like it's like the other day I took my son and my it was my it was I was in Vegas doing a show and I was there with my girlfriend and my son and yep. my ex was with us who yep. I get along with very well. So we we're all right. there. I think it was my ex. It was my birthday, okay. right? And my my ex uh, likes weird music. She likes Barry Manilow, right? She's a right. lovely lady. But she's like, and so we all ironically. Went to Barry Manilow. Great. And then, ironically, I was singing, holding a, a glow stick over my head oh. for you know. Uh, had a wonderful time. That's great. Ironically, ironically. Uh, of course. <laughs> yeah. See, that's quite interesting. Um, now I feel like maybe I need to go and give Thunder Down Under another nudge. Ah, oh, you get they, they were great guys. You're right. Ironically, I could take part in it, but me sitting here going, I don't know if I want a penis thrusted at me. They're all Australians. The- There's about four New Zealanders in the troop as well. I don't know, like how yeah. how would you tell if it wasn't? They don't half of them don't speak during the thing. <laughs> it's just how, the idea. How but does it's it have to be? That, how does it have to be that? That's the criteria. That you have to be from Australia or New Zealand. You get a visa, probably. That's how you. Yeah, they get a work permit. Yeah, and they come out and they think I'll do it for five years, and uh, I'll have fun when I'm in. Me-. They're all in their twenties. You know, there's some of them that are a bit and older that are, that are still super jacked. That are just uh, this, uh, do they do tricks or are they just are hot? Some of them are just super hot, and they they wear like a sock, and some of them can you know you know wave their dick really big, and then some of them are just super super hot, like really good looking guys, and then some of the less hotter ones have to put a bit more of a show on. Oh, they've got a talent. They're doing backflips okay, and stuff and walking on their hands, so and they're were, coming down from the roof and all that type of stuff. If you were writing a show about this to inject yourself into that community, what would your talent be, and were you planning on getting super? Well, jacked? that was the thing is that my guy had had 
his worst days, his best days were behind him. Oh, and that's where he got fired. But he's one of the original troops and oh. so he got pushed out, you know. Oh, God. I wasn't going to get I wasn't going to get jacked for it. I would have gotten thin for it, but I couldn't. I, I'm not going to get jacked at this Why, age. Why, you can't be bothered? I just think I'm too old. to. I've never had it's a good body. I've never had a body where I'm like, oh, Jim Jeffries when he was 22, you should have seen him. No, never. It's because you can't been, be bothered or It's been what? different variations of shit. Well, also, I'm just not I, – I, I work out now okay. about two times a week. To Does be it honest help with you. your – I almost lied then. I almost yeah, said yeah. three or four times a week. Fuck with me. Two, two. Do you – is it help with your mental health? Because um, it's a big advocate for people like who are like, I, you need to move I your body. I do feel – I hate doing it, but I feel better about myself when it's done. So okay. after I finish the workout, I go, yeah, it was good of you. Yeah, you got your life together. Good for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's like when I'm on like the elliptical or something like that and you go, oh, wow, I did seven miles, right? And that's pretty big and I've never done that long before. And little goals that you – little, it's like, it's like little achievements you get with working out. Yeah. But with the weight loss, the best way for me to lose weight, and I do this before every TV show and I, I, I encourage kids to do it at home because this sounds super safe. Uh, I just don't eat, man. I, I I fast three days a week. For three days? Three days a week, I don't eat anything. Okay. Not a single thing um, for about three weeks before I go on TV. And that does the and trick. The other days I eat normal. And I'll drop in three weeks, I'll drop 15 pounds. Wow. <laughs> and But they, they say you only meant to fast two days a week. But what okay. I find with fasting, I'm a big advocate of fasting. Um, Do you usually fast? Yeah. I, now I, I fast like one day a week now because I, I can't be fucked losing weight, right? Right. But the days where you fast, and this is contrary to what what uh, what you were led to believe when you were coming growing up, that you had to have food in your stomach before an exam because you'll be done. I'm smarter. I'm, 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 my brain's more agile when I fast. Well, in New Zealand at the moment, a big thing is like between like 7 p.m. and midday, don't eat. That's well, well, what they, again, we have a disclaimer at the beginning of the show. So yeah, these are, we're not this professionals. Is, I'm not, but, but the, what I've heard with the fasting is yeah. like when cavemen were chasing after a saber toothed tiger or whatever they were trying to kill. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure those two sure. things weren't together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's probably two the- different periods of Earth. <laughs> Right, right. But when they were chasing after a buffalo, yes, right, the woolly mammoth. Yeah, when they were trying to trying to kill an animal, if they hadn't eaten for a long time, and they got hungry, they had to they had to think smarter. So they started laying traps and whatever things that took up less energy than just chasing and throwing spears mm. because they. So so your body is feeling weaker. So your brain actually starts to tick. Like okay, how how do I how do I get yeah. out? Yeah, interesting. I mean, I do the 40-hour famine every year for World Vision and that's, that's, nice. that's rough. It's rough, I yeah. cheat most years. Well, the, the one day is very easy. And I, but you, you're allowed to eat 600 calories in a fasting day. But I don't okay. do it because just like drugs, just like booze, yeah. I don't see the interest in one cookie. Sure. Right? Anything that yeah. I get real joy from, I, am, I eat extremely. I, I'll, I, so, so if I have an edible and I try to do that like twice a week, those days are fucked. I gain like three, four pounds in a day because I'm just i just like, I don't give a fuck. I just eat whatever I want. And I go to town on food as well. I love food. I love food. What's your perfect combo, drink food combo? Drink and food combo. Well, see, there's, there's variations. I, I, love, I love a curry in England. Late at night when I'm drunk, mm-hmm. that's like going down to Brick Lane and getting yep. Indian food. That's mm-hmm. like the jam. But Indian food in America is not very good. Um, I like, yeah, I like Mexican food when I'm drunk. With what a margarita? No, I mean like not with drunk, but it might be like a glass of red wine and a ravioli or a beer. Oh, I don't and drink. I don't drink wine. Okay. Um, beer and anything. Okay. Uh, vodka is sort of my drink of choice. Mm, straight. Um, uh, getting close to straight with a splash of something. Fuck. With That's, a, with a splash, I admire that. With a splash of something. But the problem is I down them so quickly. So I try to drink beer. Can you the skull reason, stuff? Yeah. See, I swallow in two stages. I can't do shots. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I don't do shots anymore. I never did wine. I just, I've had about four glasses of wine in my life. Didn't like it and thought mm. there, I have enough vices. I don't. And I, I had a, I had a, fr- a friend of a friend who was a wine buff who I intensely disliked, and I, 
I thought I'd never want to be that guy. <laughs> I never want to smell and then swish and then say to the waiter, yes, this is good. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, and also people who look at the wine menu. You go to a restaurant, it literally the wine menu literally has like 80 different bottles, 90 different bottles, and you're scrolling through it. What your brain's really doing, if you're being honest with yourself, you're – you're looking at the girl across the table and go, do I do the second cheapest or the third cheapest or the fourth cheapest, right? That's a bottle of wine. You don't do the cheapest because then you, you know, yeah, the house, piece of whatever, shit, yeah. piece of shit. And who's spending fucking 200 bucks on this no. bottle of wine, right? So you go, oh, and then you – so you have that figure in your head, the, the fourth cheapest, I'm going to go with this girl because I like her. And then you go – Oh, yes, I'll have the uh, 82 blah, blah, blah. Like you've drunk all the 90 yeah, bottles. Yeah, yeah, You've yeah. drunk all the 90 bottles and you think that that one's a delicious wine and that year was good. If you knew... Yeah, there was a drought that year, so that's probably, yeah. If you knew all those things, you're a full-blown alcoholic. You're drinking every... <laughs> you're a, a wake-up-in-the-morning fucking drinker if you yeah. think you know all that stuff. That's so true. And I'm sure there's people who work in the wine industry who know. Right, that's their business. Yeah, and people who taste, swish, and spit, and that type of stuff—that's their actual business. But if you're just a general populist fella, no, you're you just a all an act. No. Um, and I women, want... women don't do it as much. You know, very rarely see the woman put her nose in no. and all that type of stuff. Women just go, "Oh, I like a Riesling." Yeah, or yeah. Whatever. Or you go, "Tastes like syrup." Drink it anyway. Get yeah, something they, on... they, they yeah. have like, "I like a Merlot," or "I like a Riesling," or yeah. "I like a Chardonnay." Right? They yeah. know the the type they like. Yeah. But they don't go, a Chardonnay from the Barossa Valley mm. from the 80s, please. No, no, they don't fucking know. That's so funny. I have two things and then I'll let you go. I've been just rambling. You can no, keep you me, haven't. You can keep me here as long as you want, unless you want to go. I've got nothing no, I to, don't do. Need to do. It's quarantine, man. Uh, I'm curious with the body thing, and only because this has come up before, is there a male body that you wish you had? Like most people would say like, oh, um, Brad Pitt Fight Club is the yeah. male body. Or- I, 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 have, I don't want Fight Club Brad Pitt because that, that guy looks like Exhausted. he would be annoying to eat with, just oh, just a grilled chicken and a, some rice yes. or whatever, right? Exactly. Right? I so I think there's a part, like even like a woman with abs, I'm like, I don't want to date this girl. She's doing sit-ups and shit all the time. So my brain automatically is turned off. Yeah, like yeah, Like if it's yeah. too, too much. So right? this, okay, I'm going to add So I will this. go Brad Pitt. His body right now, I, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it's still really good. Yeah. But I'll have that. I'm 10 years younger than him. Yeah. I'll have his 52-year-old body now. now. <laughs> that's, that's oh, that's quite good. So I, I find especially even, and maybe this is a New Zealand thing or maybe an Australian too, it's like being in LA, there's so many attractive people. It's a bit put-offy if someone's like too buff or too, I go, oh, I would, they I would never want to be a super muscly person with like, so I, I'd rather be like a lean type of person. I've never been like, I, I, clothes don't hang off me great. I've never been someone who... Yes. Who puts a shirt on it and go, oh yeah, like that, right? Because yeah, that's yeah. just my body's whatever it is, you know what I mean? And so I'd like to be a person that you just walk into a shop and just go that, 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 that. That would be great. Right, okay. Things fit good. I yeah, I, that. I tell you, what, during the Jim Jeffries show, we had all the suits tailored. I never felt more handsome than when I was on that show. Aww. Because the suits, I would put on a suit. Clothes fit you. And I'd be like, ah, oh, this looks good. And, uh, did you get to keep them? I, I did. I oh, did get to good. keep them. That's I don't nice. know if I'm allowed to legally say that okay. because they're meant to have gone back to Comedy Central, but Comedy Central <laughs> doesn't really exist anymore. So, yeah, Comedy Central's over. So I uh, I want to start writing children's books, just one or two. Yeah. I've got a couple of ideas. Can you illustrate? I've, I've read a thousand of them. No, I can't illustrate. <laughs> okay, okay. I've read a thousand of them. So you're... <laughs> so I'm, I, I, yeah, get, I, I get the bit. gist of how you're meant to do it and what plays. Slowly and, introduce a character. You introduce a character, the character has a bit of a problem. Yeah. Another character has a problem. They find a solution together. You put something a little bit gross in there, vomiting or whatever, Please. because the, the kids like that. Something where they, they go. Do, eh? Something where you go, eh, like that, like when you're reading it. And, and then, he, yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. And then yeah. you chuck in a moral at the end. There you go. Ten pa- I would buy it. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, a lot of comics have. I think John Mulaney wrote one. I, I read. Reese has got some, but they're more like uh, invest- are, his are intense. Reese are for like young teens yeah. type of thing. Uh, my son likes Reese's ones. Yeah, and then, they're uh, great. And then uh, BJ Novak wrote a great one, a really, really intelligent children's book that my son and me read the other day called The Book With No Pictures, and it's excellent. 
And it's and it's like it's the first book the children read where there's no pictures. They go, this is the book with no pictures. You don't need pictures because blah blah blah, and these things are going to happen in your head. And then like the words get look more violently big and louder and smaller and stuff. So the words change shape and colours so you can go through the emotions of it. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. Sort of teaches a kid how to read without just going. Oh, there's the. I guess this is what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, that's so interesting. Oh, okay. Really, really, really smart. I always liked the guy in the office and I've met him a couple of times in comedy clubs and thought, you know, whatever. But then after reading that book, I think he's a very smart guy. Hmm. I like that. Um, to wrap up, I would love for you to pour some of your wonderful wisdom into me. Okay. Uh, so you're sitting at a place in your career where, um, I mean, you got you got the wonderful gift of being able to arrive at your success when you were in uh, London at, at a point like you had a goal you said yeah. that you'd got to a yeah. point where you're like oh I did it mm-hmm. I would say that I'm on the other side of that still looking towards something my wisdom my career wisdom and I, I've said this to several times is small goals big goals uh, set you up for huge disappointments mm-hmm. and also you never quite get to them because the road to whatever success you're going to have might not happen the way you see it and your career might go in different directions because I never thought I'd do any acting. I never yeah. I never thought I'd move to America. I never had any intention of moving to America. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I picked up an American agent and then I came over and did a couple of gigs. And, and so I always look at uh, goals. You try to keep goals small and have a few of them that can happen. So my goal every year was something like I'd like to be on one TV show when I was in Britain, whether it be never mind the Buzzcocks or the News of the Day or whatever it was, right? If I could get on TV, if I'm on TV once a year, that means I'm I'm still relevant, yeah. I'm still out there. Or I got to do one comedy festival every year. So I had to do Edinburgh, Montreal, Melbourne, or whatever, right? And if I if I did one comedy festival or one TV show, then that means everything's fine. The career's on track. I never I never went. I'm going to be a movie star. I'm going to have my own sitcom. I'm going to have my own thing, right? So now those those goals have gotten bigger as the other ones have gone away, mm. right? So so now it's like, okay, so I've got this pilot. My goal now is to get that pilot into one series just to get 10 episodes. Yeah. And then if I get the 10 episodes, make those 10 episodes good mm. and just have people enjoy it. And it doesn't have to be everyone enjoy it, but the people who like it like it and me personally the be proud of it. That's my goal now, right? right. If that doesn't happen, I, I I still have the backup of I never thought I was going to have a TV show anyway. Right, okay, right? yeah. So, so if, if I start going, um, I, I know also you, you have to understand as well that there will be ebbs and flows and things can't keep on going up. So my ticket sales went up and up and up and up and up until I, I did like this, this arena in Melbourne and then I – I know that's the plateau. I know it can't go bigger than that. It's happened now, and they'll go down, 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 until eventually I'm back into comedy clubs, right? But there'll still be people who'll come and see me, mm-hmm. and you can't write off because the things are going down. You can't write off that success that happened before. You can't go. What What is the method? But why does it drop off? Just out of curiosity, like- because. Every just, what goes up must come down. It has to. It has to. Right, but because, I guess because, I would think because like so if- many people see you. They can't, they don't, you, I, I like, I like Oasis, right? I've seen Oasis in concert like 20 times and I've seen Liam and Noel in concert and now it's like, I go see Noel and it's like a uh, 3,000 seat theatre that I played the weekend before. Am I as big as Noel Gallagher? Fuck no. Not even close, right? right? So so if he's doing that and he used to do arenas, is he less credible? Is, yeah. he, is he not as good as he used to be? No, none of these things. But people see a band two, three times in their life unless they're fanatical, right? And yeah. the fanatics are a very small portion of your fan base, right? So so the other people, you must – all these tickets that are sold, they still exist in the world. They still – they still these people still came and saw you and they still had a good time. Mm-hmm. And because they're not going to see you ten times doesn't mean they don't like you. They've just seen you. Right. And there's, there's, an, there's not an infinite amount of people that can keep showing up. Now, you could be Paul McCartney – and go forever and ever and ever. You could be sure. Eddie Murphy. It, it happens to some people, but for most people it doesn't, you know. And so you've got to be calm with that and not go, what What happened? What went wrong? Nothing went wrong. You did really well. You did really, really well and you should be proud of yourself. Hmm. Yeah, okay. 
That now, makes now, sense. So, you, so I sense with you that you think that you haven't achieved all you want to achieve or, or you haven't achieved enough. You're very young, right? And you're right now sitting in a fucking studio which is purpose-built on one of the busiest cities, on one of the busiest streets in one of the most famous cities in the world with, with a guy who's sitting in a booth over there, another bloke who's just sitting on a chair staring at you, and you're there going, oh, when's it going to happen for me? It's happening right now. Yeah, I know. That's kind of the difficult thing. I know, like but you... That's... For something in me won't allow that to enjoy it. I know. It's very hard. I, I've never... I've gotten... Which is why I've when gotten, you say, oh, I got to a point where I arrived, I go, so it is only possible. Only once I heard that. I got, I got big money deals from Netflix and stuff like that when I did specials, and I remember my management ringing me up, and I remember consciously thinking, try to sound excited, because uh, otherwise I just sort of go, oh, God, what if I fuck this up? Okay, yeah. I look at the bad side of it rather than, than yeah. oh, this is brilliant, you know what I mean? And so I think that's... Maybe maybe the drinking and the drugs and all that type of stuff has a lot to do with trying to celebrate and, and it's really just a masking tool. It's like because I remember so many times getting wasted and just going, I, des- I deserve this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. I deserve this. It was, you know what I mean? And so it's, I, there's no easy answer. I, I'm, I'm sure I've sent a lot of mixed messages out here on this podcast and, and people sitting in their cars listening to it. Don't drive off the road. No, no. You, you've, you've got more to live for than that. No, it's not. It's just, it's, yeah, I guess, you know, a lot a lot of this, doing this is more just to have these conversations because by not having it, I was in a really dark place and there's some elevation in having these Things that can be simultaneously true I, I, at the I've, same time. I've had people in my life who I'm very, very, the people I'm most envious of in my life aren't the people who are more successful than me. They're the people who are more content than me. And yeah. and I have people in my life that have menial sort of jobs. They love their family or whatever, and they're just happy. And I'm like, that would be sweet. I used to, I used to walk in Shepherd's Bush to the tube station every day in London and there used to be a guy just there selling fruit from a cart and he was just the happy, hello, Jim, all right, we've got pears, we've got apples, we got these, we got these, hey, whoa, like that, right? And I'd come back after whatever chores I was doing or whatever errands I was running and he'd still be going and he'd go, hello, Jim, like that. And I was like, fucking hell, that guy sells fucking apples and he's much happier than me. So, you know, be the apple salesman, man. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that, but, but I'm envious of that guy. Yeah, me too. Thank you. I love you. You're wonderful. Thank you. I adore you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pretty Depressed. A huge thanks to Action Park Media, our executive producer, Kevin Connolly, and our epic crew, Raul, Kevin, and Narod. Make sure you subscribe and give us a good rating and review so we can keep bringing you more epic chats in the future. Cheers. Cheers.